Dr. Stan May, and you're listening to Drawing from the Well, a weekly podcast by Chronological Bible Teaching Ministries. I'm Jonathan Doolin, here again with Dr. Stan May. This week, in our reading from Tyndale's one-year chronological study Bible, we finish the patriarch era with Job, and we begin the Exodus era. Um, Let's dip into the well. Um, As God speaks and then he acts at the end, in the final chapters of Job, what do we learn about God's nature? Job has asked several times in the text for an audience with God. He gets it. It's not quite what he thought would happen. God speaks. God never defends himself, nor does he ever answer Job's questions, ever. He simply reveals himself through a series of more than 70 questions that he has the right to confront Job. He exposes his glory, his greatness. He deals with creation itself, the universe. He shows Job both that he is the God of power and the God of majesty. And Job is awed by his majesty. Job, in fact, when is, in his first chance to speak, he says, I put my hand over my mouth. I don't have anything to say. All those questions I thought I was going to ask, those accusations I was going to bring, those demands I was going to come before you with, I'm, I'm dropping. I'm, I put my hand over my mouth. When God finishes with his second set of questions, Job says, I repent. In dust and ashes, God reveals to Job his majesty. And Jonathan, this is what we need to have a better glimpse of. When we get a vision of the majesty of God, then we realize how how needy we are. And Job realizes that. But then God reveals his mercy. Where we saw Satan coming to steal, kill, and destroy, God comes to restore, heal, and bless Job is healed. Job is restored. Job, in fact, uh, the Hebrew says that God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. God lets Job join him in his great kingdom work, and Job prays for his friends. God restores his losses. He gives him 10 children back, more beautiful girls than he had before, and he gives him a longer life. Most people think that Job was probably in his 60s with young children, 60s, 70s, when this happened, and he lives another 140 years. So God doubles his years, gives him back the same amount of children. And in a funny side note, Jonathan, uh, Job's wife, who said just curse God and die, she has to have 10 more babies. So it perhaps is the the, the fitting judgment of God, but it's a beautiful story to see God demonstrating his mercy as the one who comes to restore. As we transition now to the first chapters of Exodus, we're told that there arose a Pharaoh, a king, who did not know Joseph. How was this Pharaoh treating the Israelites when Moses was born, and what do his actions show about his heart toward God and God's people? Conservative scholars hold to the idea that that when Pharaoh that when Joseph was with Pharaoh's court, this was a dynasty of Pharaohs who were foreigners, which is no surprise that they then would welcome another foreigner, someone who could give guidance and counsel, especially when he demonstrated the wisdom of God. 
apparently the new Pharaoh who did not know Joseph was a total dynastic change. And when that dynastic change took place, the, the new Pharaoh not only didn't know Joseph, but he didn't like the idea that there is a people living in Egypt, foreigners who had the best of the land and had multiplied greatly and therefore could pose a threat. He began to mistreat them. By the time Moses comes along 80 years later, there have been at least, uh, that at, by the time Moses comes back when he's 80, there have been at least two and possibly three generations of Pharaohs whose hearts have been hardened toward Israel, who have sought to kill their children, who have sought to enslave them and made their lives bitter, the Bible says, with hard service and rigorous work. How did God use Moses' experience both in Egypt and in the wilderness to prepare him to lead God's people? Well, Stephen tells us in his speech that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So, Pharaoh's daughter ensured that Moses had one of the finest educations of his day. It was obvious that Moses could write. Uh, writing existed thousands of years before Moses. It's evident from the Ebla, uh, Sumerian, Akkadian, and Ebla languages that show up in the, in the, the Tel Marduk, the, the digs at Ebla. Moses was, would be learned, well-learned in how to write. Moses was then trained uh, in this, the Hebrew scriptures and the stories of the Old Testament uh, of the early patriarchs by his mother. His mother poured into him, and she was a godly woman. They feared God. We know that the reason he, they rescued him was because they feared the Lord. And so Moses was trained in both of those aspects. Moses thought that he would be the deliverer who would rescue his people at 40 when he killed the Egyptian, and he ended up having to go to the desert to learn his limitations. God broke him in the desert, and Moses realized he would have that he couldn't do it in his own power. Hmm. Next, uh, when God makes himself known to Moses in the wilderness, what objections does Moses offer to God's call, and why did Moses fear this responsibility, and what does his fear, God's response, teach us about obedience to God? Moses expresses a ton of reservations. In fact, I really want to urge the reader to go and dig in and read Moses' different reservations. I could bring them all up, but, but for the reader, this is your opportunity just to look in the Scripture. This is a simple exploratory question that says, what do I see? Uh, but I'll give you just two or three. Moses says, well, who do I say you are? And so he, he, his first objection is, is they're not going to believe me because we don't, they don't know who you are. And he says, who am I? I'm weak. He says, I can't speak. He's, he's afraid. He probably thinks that the relatives of Pharaoh will know who he is. There will be people in court who will know him. And even though it's been 40 years, Moses is afraid. Now, that's not a surprising thing. And it ought to, in a way, when we're called by God to do a great task, there ought to be a good element of, of fear because we are asked to do something that is certainly beyond us and beyond our power. And God uses this in Moses' life, equipping him to get his attention when God meets with him at the burning bush, to get his attention, show him God's holiness and power. And he does so showing him several signs that he can perform, but also showing him his care and compassion. God says, I have 
indeed heard the groaning of my people. I have indeed come down to see what I can to do, what I can do, and I will deliver my people. Amen. The last question for today is how does God show the futility of the Egyptian gods through the plagues? And what does his activity teach us about his power to use nature to get people's attention? The plagues are, it's almost a, a comedy. It's, it, it's really hilarious because the first plagues, the first few plagues, the Egyptian uh, magicians can, can replicate. Now, that doesn't mean anything other than to demonstrate that the devil does have power on this earth. And anyone who thinks he doesn't is foolish. But the early plagues, as God speaks, God acts. He speaks through Moses to announce the plagues. He acts to fulfill the plagues. And when he speaks and acts, he takes, he takes action against the gods of Egypt. And in fact, in the last plague, which we won't talk about, uh, the, the Passover, he says, I'm going to exercise judgment against all the gods of Egypt. Pharaoh was seen as a god. Pharaoh's power is reduced by each plague. The Nile River was a god to the Egyptians. He turns the, the water of the Nile to blood. The sun was a god. Ra was the sun god. He darkens the sun. And frogs were a god in Egypt. And God says, you like frogs? Well, I'll give you plenty of them. The funnier part is, is that the, the, the magicians replicate the plagues, but they can't stop them. So instead of changing water, blood back to water, they just make more water that they needed into blood. Uh, I really have this secret suspicion that when on the fourth plague, when they can't do it, that Pharaoh says, praise God, because they couldn't change. They were going to they couldn't make more flies, more gnats. They 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 were they were finally hindered. But God shows his power. God strikes at the very heart of Egypt but he strikes at all the edges of Egypt. He takes away everything. And in about a year, and the plagues probably take about a year because we see different seasons pass. But in about one year, Jonathan, Moses, through the plagues, undoes all the good that God did for Egypt through Joseph because of a hard-hearted Pharaoh. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Mack. Thanks for joining us. Listen in each week with CBT as we draw from the well of the Word to answer questions from the weekly reading of the One Year Chronological Study Bible.